Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. This is a podcast series covering the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, we actually have several big releases this week. And just a heads up that we are probably not going to be covering the biggest of them, at least not this week, which is Borat 2, uh, or uh, as it's precisely titled, Borat Subsequent Movie Film. That will be the subject of an episode next week uh, dealing with some movies that I think are trying to say a lot about uh, the state of the nation right now, which also includes uh, the recently released American Utopia that premiered on HBO. So put a pin in Borat 2. We'll get to that eventually. The big movie we're going to talk about this week is Rebecca. Uh for those needing a little bit of a spooky atmosphere as they enter into the Halloween season, Netflix has released an all-new adaptation of the gothic romance novel uh, directed by Ben Wheatley and starring Lily James and Army Hammer. Of course, most people probably recognize Rebecca from the Oscar-winning 1940 film that Alfred Hitchcock directed, uh, chronicling a young woman who marries a wealthy but slightly mysterious older man. And as she <laughs> goes to his um, estate, begins to find herself in the shadow of his former wife, who died mysteriously several years earlier. It's a terrific film. Uh, I talked with Andrew Young, fellow film inquiry writer, who reviewed the new 2020 version of Rebecca for the site. And we had a terrific conversation talking about not just this new version and what works and what maybe mostly I think doesn't work about the new adaptation, as well as comparing it to the 1940 film that uh, really, I think kind of lurks over this new interpretation um, as well as the larger career of director Ben Wheatley, who, you know, I think if you're interested in kind of pulpy genre movies is maybe someone to uh, check out and is a very like, unique idiosyncratic filmmaker and I, I thought was kind of a, a fascinating choice to tackle this material even if it doesn't quite live up to the potential so check out this conversation here and stay tuned in the coming weeks as we of course talk about Borat 2 American Utopia as well as have a special show lined up on the films of Sofia Coppola who has a new movie out this week titled On the Rocks that you can view on Apple TV+. But now let's get to my conversation with Andrew Young. All right, I want to welcome to the, uh, the podcast, fellow film inquiry writer, uh, all the way from the UK, and yes. Andrew Young. Hello, nice to be here. Yes, thank, thank you. you Jesse. Um, so... Obviously, we're going to do a whole episode on the Netflix remake of Rebecca that Ben Wheatley did. I think it'd probably be best for our listeners for us to start off talking about the uh, at least the 1940 adaptation, yeah. which is kind of like the big mammoth shadow over, that's hanging over this one. Yeah. Right, that's hanging over this one. Literally, just like the shadow of Rebecca hangs over um, the actual story. Uh, so maybe let's just talk about kind of our relationship with that movie. I don't know about you, but this is like, I, it 
I'm going to list like a top five favorite Hitchcock movie. This is in the conversation for me personally. I'm a, a big fan of this movie. Right. Okay. Well, um, this is an interesting one for me, actually, because I haven't seen this film. Until oh, very. <laughs> I have seen it. I hadn't oh, okay. seen it until very, very recently. Um, and I actually came to watch the new one, having not uh-huh. seen, watch Ben Wheatley's version, having not seen the Hitchcock version. Interesting. Um, or read the book. So I made the perhaps stupid, perhaps bold decision to watch the Ben Wheatley version first because just about nobody else has done that. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the Hitchcock version pretty much straight afterwards. So I'm coming at it with a slightly different angle to, I imagine, you and most other people. Yeah, I mean, that actually makes for a much more interesting podcast yeah. discussion. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, what what is it like to sort of see this one again? Because I, I think for me, like, the reason I love it so much is not just sort of the the pleasures of a gothic romance, but it's so much of kind of this interesting subtext that's not even subtext in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it is the text of like the anxieties of being in a relationship and having all of these buried secrets and the, the sort of the fear that you are not living up to this like past partner that uh, you're the person you were with had. And just, I, I think for me, I think what makes this movie, I'll, I'll just come up right out. I think this is a yeah. vastly superior movie to the Ben Wheatley version, mm-hmm. but I think so much of what makes the Hitchcock version so hypnotic and so, um, I, I don't know, just so like powerful and <laughs> yeah. a joy to watch is that kind of psychological mindset that Hitchcock puts you in and you feel like it, it's, it's way more... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just way more cerebral, and I think Hitchcock giving it that kind of, like, gothic noir look with all the sort of, like, shadows and Absolutely. kind of ominous lighting and stuff. I, I, I thought it was really interesting of, like, um, my girlfriend, similar to you, had, like, never seen the Alfred Hitchcock version before, mm-hmm. and when we watched the Ben, Leatley, ben Wheatley version, her first comment was just sort of like, I don't... I, I wanted that to be spookier. Like I needed it mm-hmm. a little bit more of the goth in my gothic romance. And I turned to her and was just like, you know, I actually think you would perfectly love the Hitchcock version because it has that those gothic visuals. And it does feel as much as Wheatley likes to play around with um, some kind of uh, visual, very visual dream sequences. Um, yeah. The Hitchcock version is just much more cerebral and into those sort of like thorny um, psychological kind of paranoia mindset. It is, and it plays it a bit straighter in a sense that it because the Ben Wheatley version's obviously got the expectation of being the new one, and it's right. you know, eighty years after the Hitchcock one. So we, I think Ben Wheatley had to try and do something a little bit different with it that I think most of us would agree hasn't entirely worked. Um, right. The Hitchcock version is kind of just a perfect telling of that of the story. You know, and you're right, mm-hmm. it's got that not like I say not really subtext, just text. And you do really get that nice feeling of her sort of crumbling under the pressure and the way the new Mrs. De Winter character changes throughout the novel throughout the, the film and she starts to kind of slowly crumble under the pressure of being expected to live up to Rebecca. It's that's great to see, and I think the Hitchcock version is great. Like I said, I don't have kind of the attachment to it that you do. 
mm-hmm. um, although a lot of people do. And I think therefore, I think I'm I've been a bit kinder on the Ben Wheatley version than a lot of people have. It's been quite kind of attacked by a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's I it's not it's not as good as the Hitchcock version, but I don't think it's a bad film. Um, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, well, let's maybe transition into talking about the Ben Wheatley version uh, for a second. You wrote about it for the site, so why don't you kind of give us your thoughts on the the movie as, as you saw it, just experiencing yeah. it almost in this like <laughs> kind of perfect little, you know, Bubble, enclosed yeah. chamber without the sort of the baggage of, you know, this other Oscar winning movie kind exactly. of looming over it. Um, yeah, because you can't have, you know, everybody's got blind spots in there. Um, in their viewing and Rebecca the original Rebecca was one of mine and then when I signed up to do and I said I'll do the review of the Ben Wheatley version I actually thought oh yeah I'll watch the Hitchcock version first probably and then it kind of got closer and I thought actually I just want to because I didn't I haven't you know, I haven't read the book either um, I watched it with my partner and she's read it and I thought actually I kind of want to just see what he does telling this story as it is mm-hmm. with me not knowing what happens um and I think generally it is, it is a quite an entertaining film. It looks nice. Like, I think it does lack the gothic character that Hitchcock does. I think this is a film mm-hmm. that very much benefits from being quite old and black and white. And I think the colour and the costumes and are nice, but it looks more like a kind of lush period drama as opposed to a gothic romance, I think. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking watching it... Like and even my girlfriend made this observation of it that the visual palette seems um way more Downton Abbey than yeah. one would maybe e- expect um and you know with all these like very lush colors and rich period detail that you know all almost seems like a complete reversal from um what we kind of mentioned in the Hitchcock movie and uh as as kind of lavish as that movie can be at times it is way more murky and moody yeah, and, and the lighting and yeah and i think this one yeah. it, it does have something you know like i said it's been salvaged a bit by the critics and there's a lot of problems with it i think i think it has got some things going for it so i'll maybe start with the things i like mm. first yeah go for it um the casts and in, the cast is a mixed bag i think um i think lily james is always very likable very sympathetic as I'd a agree, lead yeah. i think I, I like her in general i think she's good I think she carries that role quite well. I like, really like Kristen Scott Thomas as Mrs. Danvers. I Best think, part of the movie, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think she is perfect. Well, I, get, I haven't read it, but just you just look at her and you're like, yeah, that's that's the right character. Like that's yes, she fits, definitely. you know. Uh, again, I like Sam Riley as Jack Favell as well. I like his, I like his voice for a start, um, mm-hmm. which in all, he's in a lot of Ben Wheatley films, and I think I just like it when Sam Riley turns up in a film. Um, I think my main problem with it is Army Hammer, who yeah. who, who I like <laughs> as an actor. I think he's a good actor. Same, I think, same. Um, he seems like a nice guy. I don't, I I don't think the problem is his performance as such as the casting. Um, I think an obvious thing saying anyone that even knows the background of the book is the age seems way off. Um, yeah, he's supposed is, to be. Is he an... supposed to be older in the book? Yeah. So the book I I checked the book. He's supposed to be forty two. Okay. And she's in her early twenties, and mm-hmm. so I checked, and Lily James is thirty-one, and Army Hammer is thirty-four. So they're basically just a perfect normal couple. Whereas it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like in the Hitchcock version, Lawrence Olivier has this. You feel like he's lived a life pre right. pre her, 
that I don't think you get with Amihan. That's the point is he's kind of got all this mental trauma and he's weighed down with it. And I don't think Amihan's kind of got that in his face, really. No, definitely not. I, I think my <laughs> I, I agree with you. I've I've quite liked Lily James in it. I thought Kirsten Scott Thomas was eat like kind of stole the movie every time she was Absolutely. on on camera um but yeah i i weirdly just every time army hammer was on screen i just kept wondering why and you know not to keep turning this into a like but the hitchcock version sort of podcast <laughs> but like yeah. this is another case of like it, it, it is sort of like an uphill battle because you have the great Lawrence Olivier doing that role in the Hitchcock version. And I think he's able to capture so much of that um, kind of bottled up sort of repressed intensity and the sense that uh, this character has had this, this other life that he is not letting, um, you know, his new wife into. And I, I don't know. I just, army hammer is such a, with the exception of something maybe like the social network, because I, yeah. I quite like him in uh, Call Me By Your Name as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like he's used best in movies when he's used as this sort of like meta object, sort mm -hmm. of like he, he is sort of very knowingly being placed as this like perfect kind of ideal version of masculinity. Yeah. And he's him doing when he's doing just more like a straight leading man kind of role, it all kind of falls apart because it's almost like it's almost too much the dictionary definition yeah. that you want and it's sort of that it, the character sort of crumbles around him so i i don't I'm, i agree with you i don't think he's necessarily bad in the movie but he is weirdly miscast and he doesn't have any of that kind of inner turmoil that olivier does and you know like olivier is hot in that movie but like <laughs> he also seems like a really you know, kind of like creepy, borderline dangerous person, um, especially, yeah. you know, as the movie progresses and you learn more of the the dark secrets about him and Rebecca's marriage. Um, and, and I don't know, I just never got any of that from Army Hammer. And it is weird kind of what you brought up of like to have a version of this story where the couple's kind of a normal functioning couple, whereas like, you know, I, I feel like in the book from what I've gathered and in the, the 1940 version, it's it's very clear that there's something off and there's a lot of unspokenness mm -hmm. in the relationship and that maybe, um, you know, the new Mrs. DeWinter has yeah. gotten herself in a little over her head and doesn't quite know this seemingly perfect man that she has married. Yeah, well, I, I think here part of the problem is, like you say, it's, there's an unspoken problem in the Hitchcock version beneath him. But I think here it's almost too spoken. Like as soon as we meet him, we're told, oh, he's a wreck. He's mm -hmm. been awful since his wife died. Like he's, and he's kind of quite sulky and sullen and sort of goes off in moods all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think whereas the Hitchcock version, you meet, we, we meet him on the cliff face sort of considering jumping. And then that colors a very kind of quite clean cut reserved, polite man after that so you know there's something going under the surface whereas i think the army hammer version in the new film has this sort of obvious problem to him mm. an obvious temperament problem that doesn't then have any additional depth to it 
I think it's kind of, yeah, okay, he's sad about his wife dying, or he's got some trauma, and we're going to find out exactly what the trauma is down the line. Whereas I don't think this kind of idea of presenting yourself to the world and think, feeling something else underneath is really, just only comes across in the performance. But, um, but other than that, the cast, I think, worked quite well. Um, mm. And, yeah, I think other positives, I think, that, well... It's sort of a positive and a negative, which I guess we can get into spoilers on this, seeing as it's such a famous yeah, story. I, I think since it's a pretty like famous novel that was adapted into a famous Oscar-winning movie, uh, yeah. if, if, if you haven't, just like you can stop, stop. listening and yeah. come back. But exactly. of, like I, I feel like we're we're well within our, our rights, our, our to, rights yeah. to just like <laughs> spoil the shit out of this <laughs> thing, so go for it. Um, so yeah, I think one thing I liked and didn't like at the same time about Ben Wheatley's version is what they do with... Mrs. Danvers and Rebecca in terms mm. of... So I think the Hitchcock version very much... So the idea, the whole reveal of the thing is Rebecca's this perfect wife and she turns out actually to be the devil, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think here, in the Ben Wheatley version, I don't think she is presented that much like as that bad. But I also think that... I, I like the, the quite radical approach to take to it to say, well, you know... She's not. Was she that? Because all all we really get in this is she had lots of affairs. Whereas I think in the book and the Hitchcock mm. version, she's a terrible person. She's manipulative. She's abusive. Like she's just cold and evil and unloving. Whereas I think in the Ben Wheatley version, we basically just get told she's sort of just slept with lots of men and didn't care about any of them. Which then Mrs. Danvers sort of defends. She says because she loves Rebecca and she says she all the men were just play things to her and she was kind of so above all of you mm-hmm. and she really admires her for that and i actually quite like this idea of a sort of rebecca in the kind of living in a patriarchy deciding to kind of screw over all these men but at the same time present herself as the perfect wife and to sort of kind of cheat the system almost she kind of has a cake and eats it and i right. think Mrs. Danvers likes that and therefore she admires her and loves her for it and therefore she's genuinely like when she burns down Mandel at the end of the Hitchcock version it's kind of this evil thing that she does to destroy the lives of everyone around her and I think in the Ben Wheatley version it's a sort of tragic nervous breakdown and then she jumps off the cliff and I quite like that version of it I think it's an interesting thing to do but I think at the same time that's also the film's problem because it doesn't take long enough showing us why exactly Rebecca wrongs Max and therefore why Max kills her. Basically, I don't think there's really much effort put into explaining why he's the victim. Because in the book, I think he's the victim, really. And in the Hitchcock film, he's definitely presented as the victim because he's been manipulated. And then, of course, in the Hitchcock film, she dies by accident. But in the book, he does shoot her. And in the new film he shoots her apparently the only reason the hitchcock version changed it to it being an accident is because the censors wouldn't allow it right so that's interesting but i think even if he does intentionally kill her you can still sympathize with him as sort of being the victim here but oddly in the ben wheatley version i just got this idea of a man who kind of found out his wife had been cheating on him a lot and then shot her and it just very it was just quite i find it hard to then because then it, the ending's kind of romantic, you know, because they finally end up together, him and the new Mrs. DeWins are happy, away from Mandalay, away from Mrs. Danvers. And I'm like, well, this isn't, you know, he's a murderer. He's This isn't nice at all. And in terms of 
the new Mrs. De Winter, Lily James' character, she essentially goes from hating him because she thinks he's in love with another woman to loving him because she thinks he's murdered another woman, which Mm -hmm. is quite an odd thing to do. And I don't think it's explained or shown at all well in the film why he was driven to do what he did. And therefore we have no sympathy for him and more sympathy with Mrs. Danvers and Rebecca herself. And therefore the film's ending tonally is kind of all over the place. I thought. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, a terrific observation. Um, and one that I, I think, you know, pulling it back to watching this movie last night uh, with with my own girlfriend <laughs> and, you know, quite quite a poisonous movie to watch with your partner. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think even she pointed out of just sort of like, I don't know, why is Lily James still with him? Like he murdered his wife. And if, yeah. it, it, it it's made a, a less clear in this, the, you know, the idea of it being this almost like, accident or this moment of impulse or that that you know he's been wronged over and is clearly the victim in this situation and i i find the sort of transformation of that couple it's just sort of like she shrugs it off in this new version and is like all right well i'll stand yeah. by him and we gotta like we, we gotta sweep this under the rug whereas in the hitchcock version and i imagine the novel too it becomes this almost like insidious blood pack I feel like mm-hmm. it, it is sort of this couple that then, you know, has been going through these early marital problems and sort of the thing that strengthens their marriage is kind of the covering up of this this murder and of, you know, trying to, to bury this um, this dark thing in their past. And that becomes the thing that sort of brings them together, which I, I think is a terrific idea. And I would have loved someone like, Wheatley to explore that more in this but I feel like it weirdly well that is the thing of the movie I feel like on paper I would have imagined him bringing out more it weirdly becomes the thing that's pushed back the least and it does become that ending does kind of fumble because it's it's a little the motivations behind people are a little unclear and it's, I think I, th- I think in fact the actual motive and the whole reveal the big reveal, essentially, in the mm-hmm. cabin where he says he killed her, and so I find it very underwhelming. And that's that's me coming from the point of view of not having read the book, not having seen the Hitchcock film, not right. not knowing the sort of big twist. He didn't love her, he hated her, kind of thing. She didn't drown at sea, and me not knowing that found this out, this great twist, and then was like, oh, you know, I was a bit. I was a bit underwhelmed, and I don't think that was because of the quality of the story. I think that was the way it was shown in the film. I think it was quite... I don't think it did anywhere near as good a job of it as the Hitchcock version did. I think Laurence Olivier's monologue in the Hitchcock film, where he kind of explains exactly what happened, and there's that great shot where Hitchcock looks essentially at where Rebecca would have been sat and like follows Mm -hmm. the camera as she walks, but she's obviously she's not there. Right. And that's like a really clever, innovative thing to do. And I just think there's none of that innovation in the new book, which is made 80 years later. It lacks the invention that Hitchcock had all that time ago in that big reveal. And I think it falls a bit flat. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> you know, it's weird because you're, you're bringing up stuff that like, without knowing it or not, my girlfriend who like the same <laughs> as you had not seen the Hitchcock version is just like making these yeah. same comments of just sort of like, you know, I think there was a point in the movie where she's like, does it get darker? And I was just sort of like biting my tongue of knowing like, 
there there's like a really like big like holy yeah. shit twist that's coming and then that happens and she's like that's it of just sort of like a, a similar reaction to you of i think yeah it kind of fumbles what's this sort of great reveal moment in the hitchcock version and how that all kind of plays out with the the court stuff at the end and with um you know the the one other character the the character of jack that she's been sleeping around with who then tries to blackmail um maxim and mrs de winter and all that stuff i i, I just felt it kind of lacked and in a needed intensity that i feel like it definitely has in the hitchcock version and that's sort of the highest moment of that movie and it all just kind of goes along like a hum in this version and lacks kind of this this pulpy intensity that i was cr really craving yeah and i think you say about this pulpy intensity and i think this maybe brings us a bit more into discussion of ben wheatley I yes think definitely i expected I expected it to be a bit more fun. I think, I mean, obviously it's a very serious, dark story, but I think mm -hmm. if you think of something, I'm not an expert on Ben Wheatley's films, but the bits I've seen and um, Happy New Year, Colin Versa, which I think was his last film before this, mm -hmm. I saw a uh, film festival when it came out. I really liked that film. I really, really liked it. Um, and it, it's very dark, but also very funny and quite, always films have this, I mean, Sightseers is about a couple that, goes on a caravan holiday and then starts killing people mm -hmm. like there's a dark comedy to all of it and a kind of sense of pulpy fun about his films and that's just completely missing from rebecca i think um which is a shame because it feels like a I mean, we can go on to more in a minute but i think the overall his film feels kind of like a distinctive filmmaker trapped inside a very conventional film yeah i was just about to say this this feels like him with kind of the reins on you know what i mean it, it feels like him held back and um you know the it's interesting the two movies that you bring up of his aren't uh are actually two of the ones that i've not seen but it, mm. you know his his filmography is in conversation with these very kind of pulpy genres especially in in kind of uh which is maybe something you can speak to a little bit i mean like in british cinema and mm -hmm um you know i i wouldn't say i'm a fan of his but i've never left one every time i leave one of his movies i'm always like well i don't know that i enjoyed that but he went for it so like and yeah kudos he, for that of like he, i'll i'll give him some brownie points of like i don't know that i liked high rise or liked free fire but i left those movies of like you know what he had a very like outside the box take on that and that was definitely weird and unusual and i'm not quite sure i enjoyed it or it totally like hung together for me but like props for him for just like swinging for the stars and doing something crazy Absolutely. and pul pulpy um I, I think probably the movie of his that i think most works and kind of that playful um just sort of splicing of different genres together and is sort of funny but also like scary and grotesque is something like kill list which mm -hmm. um any, anyone out there looking for some great uh halloween recommendations that's that's a uh, one of the the really interesting i think horror movies of the last decade or so but um yeah i just i was missing that kind of cranked up craziness of his yeah. movies and when i saw it's it's weird like it, i i heard about this rebecca remake around the same time as i heard that there was going to be um 
like a TV miniseries adaptation of Black Narcissus. Um, another like really great kind of gothic uh, film from around the same time in the 1940s. And just this, you know, I had this feeling like when that was announced of like, ah, uh, like, I, I don't know that that's like a sacred text, but like why the first one, like, or the original from the forties holds together so well and is still so visually dazzling and impressive and pulpy and creepy fun, but also like, I, I don't know. It, and I ha would have had a similar response to seeing Rebecca getting remade if it wasn't Wheatley and the fact that Wheatley was attached was like, Oh, this seems like the guy who's going to like, just make do something. Maybe... Yeah. Yeah. It was going to make this maybe like a bit dirtier, a bit pulpier, a bit gnarlier, maybe take the, you know, go to places that Hitchcock would not have been able to go to in 1940 and sort of um, explode this property a little bit and add a little bit of trashy fun. And I was just sort of, disappointed that it felt very very restrained and felt like it was sort of playing safely into kind of the the familiar story beats that we would expect from various other versions of this book that have come out in as like mini series um but i i don't know yeah i i agree i just felt sort of a lacking of his voice as a filmmaker in this entire picture yeah, I agree completely. I think it's, it's interesting you mentioned Kill List and the kind of <clears throat> horror element of that because there are there are horror elements to a few of his films. And then I was thinking maybe this was going to be a sort of maybe a sort of reimagined kind of violent kind of yeah. nightmarish gothic pulpy version of the, of Rebecca because Hitchcock's is very much a kind of noir thriller version right. really of, of the story. And you could play it as that. You could play it. As a sort of period drama, really focus on the ro on the romance side of it, and this kind of desperate love trying to cling on with all these obstacles of the investigation, and that's something that would could work really well. But I don't think this version does any of them, because um, it has those bits where there's slight kind of dream sequences and stuff in this one. Right, every now I and almost then. wanted more of that. Like, I, like that's I, I, that's I, the kind of stuff that I I yeah. I know he can do really well, and of just like. Like make it more cerebral, make, make it, it more weirder. nightmarish. Yeah, make it weirder and surreal. Yeah, because and because he, but because there wasn't much of it, it then felt out of place when he did do that. Because mm. it was like, like I said, it was a distinctive filmmaker trapped in a conventional film where it's kind of just kind of plodding along, kind of fairly what you expect, and then he just suddenly throws in something or like a visual flourish, some of which I liked. Like, there's the odd shot in this. I think, oh, that's a that's a good shot. But mm -hmm. I was like. Where did that come from? Like, that's not. It just kind of it takes you out of the film. Whereas, you know, if you look at somebody like uh, Bong Joon Ho with a parasite or something like that, right? Where he the, the visual flourishes and playing with focus and the camera a lot. It is part of the language of the film and it brings you into the film more because it's part of the rhythm of it. Whereas here, I think he just kind of does the odd fun thing with the camera that look that takes you out of the film instead because it's just sort of like him trying to get some sort of invention and originality into a well-told and well-worn story. And then, yeah, I just think he doesn't really settle on a direction for this, which is interesting because, like you say, it's, it seems like he's with a filmmaker with the reins on, 
which is interesting because we haven't mentioned it yet, but this is for Netflix. He's made this. And yeah, which I almost speaking, wonder if like that the flatness of how this looks. This is something I've noticed with. I don't know about you. I've noticed with so many mm-hmm. Netflix movies of their and and I. I'm not 100% sure if it's true, but I, I have this creeping suspicion in my mind that it's some sort of house rule of their movies looking flat because of people just watching them on, like, laptops and, in, yeah. their, and their home TV. And that there is something about, as much as there are these moments of bright color, especially in yeah. the, the, the sort of Monte Carlo sequence that opens up the movie. Yeah. And, you know, you get stuff like Army Hammer wearing his mustard jacket, which... So, <laughs> side note i think you need to get a new jacket or mr de winter like he wears that outfit like three days in a row i, I think the costume <laughs> department were just really pleased with themselves because it yes. fits him so nicely <laughs> yes but of, of like that that the flatness of this is something that i i particularly picked up on and and just felt so strange to me and so like weirdly out of place that it just kind of looked yeah. like a, a masterpiece classic like PBS series and and that's not I wanted more style if that makes sense. I think so. I think it didn't feel like a Ben Wheat if I, when I was watching it I was thinking, Oh it's you know, such and such would make a really good version of this. Or you know, you're watching it and you're thinking, Oh, I wish, you know, Guillermo del Toro had made this mm. and gone mm-hmm. full, you know, reigns off, full gothic, you know, drenched in black and blood and ornate. You know, Mandalay itself could have had a bit more personality, I think, as well. It, it is crimson peak it, now that you mentioned del toro that like that's kind of uh, del toro's what? rebecca essentially yeah he could have just made like the crimson peak kind of house but he'd done that for rebecca that's what i thought ben Whitley was going to do with this film mm-hmm. and then didn't um but it is interesting about netflix because netflix do have a bit of a reputation for letting filmmakers do what they want mm-hmm. you know they they are you know martin scorsese made the irishman with with them because nobody else would give him the money mm. and that i don't think that's a film that feels visually flat no definitely at not. all but perhaps maybe what the problem is is netflix will and you think like ryan murphy who's just got millions of dollars to make loads of tv shows whatever however he wants right but ben wheatley is not ryan murphy nor is he martin scorsese he's a very good filmmaker but he's not well known enough and he hasn't got the profile so Perhaps you're right. Perhaps Netflix kind of do have a sort of house rule, or or maybe not, you know, an unspoken thing where they don't invest so much in this cinematic quality of films, unless it's somebody like a Scorsese who's the name, and they can kind of market it as we were the ones who just let him do what he wanted. Right. And Ben Wheatley isn't a filmmaker with a profile where they're going to make exceptions for him. So perhaps that's where this comes from. I don't know. I just think for one reason or another, it's not it doesn't come to life quite as much as it should. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, a little, <laughs> just checking Twitter before hopping on, a little little worried for what Ben Wheatley has got lined up. And, and considering he's got like a Tomb Raider sequel and The yeah. Meg 2 as his movies lined up. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, didn't I really know, hope yeah. this is not like one of our more kind of like idiosyncratic filmmakers getting sort of, you know i i'm always no. for people like get get your big money opportunity like work on a big budget and do like a one for yeah. me one for you but of like it, it is a little deflating after watching this and then like going online this morning and saying like oh his like next two projects he's working on are both sequels are both yeah. sequels and kind of like a 
I guess yeah. established franchises I, and don't seem to yeah. it, after seeing him do an adaptation of someone else's material that felt I, I lacked his presence in it it then felt really scary to see him do sequels to other people's movies yeah that I worry will not have his sort of bizarre um pulpy slightly satirical energy to them yeah I agree and I think Although, having said that, when I first saw he was announced for the Tomb Raider sequel, and I haven't seen the first Tomb Raider, but I know it kind of got middling reviews and did okay at the box office, but not great. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw them, they were going Ben Wheatley for the sequel. I was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I'd hold out hope that maybe it still will be, because you'd hope that maybe this is an example of a distinctive filmmaker doing a, a known property, but maybe... Mm-hmm actually putting their own spin on it because this isn't i think tomb raider now is not um you know it's not marvel i don't think this it's a huge deal right um i don't think the first one made that much money it's not um i think it's it's the size of franchise where he could you could get away with taking a risk i think you know mm-hmm. tomb raider 2 people have kind of written that the reboot off already almost on the strength of the first film and therefore i think there could be a possibility for him to do what he wants and then kind of bring his fun and life to that. But, but we don't know. So yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't dismay like, just yet, um, but it's not a great sign. Yeah. I mean, similar, like when the Meg two news, I was like a Ben well, yeah, Wheatley giant it. shark movie sounds fun, but I'm a little concerned that I'm not going to get the Ben Wheatley giant shark movie that, that you want. I, I would want. <laughs> Um, which would probably be really gnarly and really gross, but yeah. Um, well, I think, I think. Go ahead. No, I just I think with this film as well. I think again, I haven't actually seen many of Ben Wheatley's films, but Happy New Year, Colin Bursa has this. It has a cast of people who we like. Neil Maskell is the lead, who's in Kill List. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got Sam Riley in it again, and I think you know quite a lot of known British character actors. And I think particularly as a Brit, there's a something about his films. There's a kind of grittiness and. This is by far the starriest film. I mean, film is made of High Rise, but High Rise, mm-hmm. by all accounts, is mental and just kind of off the wall in so many different ways. But this is kind of the most classically starry, glossy film that he's made, Rebecca, mm-hmm. with Lily James and Army Hammer. And and then he's, he's doing that again with, you know, two big Hollywood sequels. You're thinking, would you know, you want him to go back and make a film in in England again perhaps and with in setting these groups of people in these communities that he made films about before kind of very quite low-key low-budget films that Mm. have essentially nothing really going for them other than the fact that it's him and people he's collaborated with before making something fun and something interesting something funny as well yes i think that's something he he does have like a wicked sense of humor Yeah. yeah that's something this film lacks a lot i think it has no humor to it really i mean neither does the hitchcock version particularly but it does have a kind of definite kind of thriller mystery noir element Mm -hmm. to it which is the obvious thing to do whereas here if you're gonna do something different maybe spice it up a bit make it funnier make maybe self-aware but i think it it doesn't i mean i think a ben wheatley film that doesn't have that isn't as funny therefore doesn't feel as much like one of his films perhaps yeah definitely well, before we before we wrap things up, do you have uh, any last 
thoughts. My my only last uh, little plug I'll give is um, for anyone who's well, if you've seen Rebecca, I don't know why you wouldn't have seen this other movie, but you know, if you want a kind of what I think is sort of a smart sort of modern uh, inspired take on on that kind of movie or sort of a, a filmmaker taking kind of the stuff that Hitchcock is working with in that movie and um, sort of reinterpreting it as their own. Um, Phantom Thread, just like one of my favorite movies of the last like several years and Paul Thomas Anderson has, you know, said over and over again how um, how much Rebecca is kind of like the chief inspiration for that movie. And you can see a lot with, you know, the dynamic between um, the kind of three characters in that movie the the Reynolds Woodcock and then his his sister and Alma and that that's and kind of the the history and this sort of like ghostly presence in this big lavish house that they live in that's not literally a ghost but you just sort of feel like this this negativity hanging over um and that movie like also you know wickedly funny is really really yeah, funny yeah um so I I would just you know if if you don't check out the the new Rebecca um obviously if you've not seen the hitchcock one just uh, get around to that but um i would also recommend phantom thread is a like really fun companion piece to that yeah i think that's a good a good call definitely i think any last things for me is just that i think perhaps this new version is not as bad as some people have said Mm -hmm. i think if somebody is if somebody's not you know we're too we're film writers and film podcasters, you know, we right. know about the Hitchcock version. Some people have never read the book. They've never, they don't even know about the Hitchcock version. And I think if somebody's on Netflix and they watch this for their evening film, they could do worse. I think it's perfectly enjoyable. The cast is generally, you know, Army Hammer's a bit miscast, but it's a good bunch of actors. Like the production values are reasonably high. It's not badly written, badly directed. It's, it's decent. I think it just suffers from all the Hitchcock comparisons, um, mm. which is kind of the ultimate final say on it, really. But but even before I watched the Hitchcock version, I still had my problems with it. It still yeah. didn't feel it didn't feel entirely coherent to me. Um, I will give a quick shout out. I think Army Hammer's English accent is quite good. Um, as a Brit coming on this podcast, I feel like I should. I, I, w- I was wondering. I don't have quite as good of an yeah. ear for that stuff as, but I, I, I was like curiously wondering of just like, I don't know. I, I was like, I'll be knowing that you know Andrew's from the UK. I was like, I'll be really interested to ask him like what he thinks about this because like this is just a, a strange piece of casting in my opinion. Yeah, I mean it's weird because his voice is very recognizable. It's quite uh-huh. like he's got that kind of all American bro kind of voice. Um, they're very deep, and he's got he's got the deepness to his voice here, but he doesn't have the American accent, which I think is weird. But I do actually think, as far as he can, he does a pretty good job with the accent. So, although we've criticised his casting to an extent today, I think I'll give him a shout out there. I think his accent's quite good. Well, Andrew, thank you again for hopping on the latest and joining us to uh, t- to talk about Rebecca. 